Okay, all. Yeah, grab a seat. Uh, you, you should have a worship guide uh, in your seat, and if you don't, there's, a, there's some worship guides in the back for you, but on the back of it, you should have today's scripture, 2 Timothy 3, and uh, that's, that's where we're going to be. I cannot believe that tomorrow is a big day, um, not a real big day, but it's the 15th of January, and so that means the very middle of the first month of the year. That's a big deal. You know Why? Because the first month of the year is halfway over. I mean, it's, I mean 2018, all, I guess the point is, 2018 is booking it, people. And so if you're not ready, all right, just buckle up. 18 is on the way. And if you're like any, anything like me, I love to start the year off right, get off to a strong start. And so for many of us as individuals, I mean, we just want to make some goals and make some priorities and, and set some, maybe some parameters of our year that may look a little bit differently than last year. And so the, the start of a new year is a great place to do that. And so whether you've done that as an individual or like Nicole and I, we've kind of pulled out our calendars and those kinds of things. We've done it for our family. What are some goals? What are some priorities for our, uh, our family? Or maybe you're a small business owner or, or you're in charge of a team of people. So you've gone to the sketch board and you've said, okay, what do, Lord, what do you want from me this, this year? Um, now's the time to kind of get after it because the start has already started. 2018 has begun. Well, the same with individuals and the same with families and the same with small businesses or, or team leaders. As a church, it's really important for us to get off to a right, the right start. Um, but unlike kind of small business owners and those kinds of things, it's not our imagination and it's not just our good ideas that give us our trajectory. In fact, if you're a part of the local body of believers, what gives us our trajectory, what gives us our priorities, our, our rhythms, you know, our goals is the person and work of Jesus. So as a church, that's what we do. We look to Jesus, right? We don't look at our imagination. We look to Jesus, and we want him to dictate to us. We want him to set the priorities for our lives. As a church body, that's what we're doing. We're looking to Jesus, and we're looking at his rhythms mainly. We're looking at the way he conducted his life. How did he interact with others? What was his daily or weekly or monthly or kind of seasonal rhythm? Because we want to emulate his life. He was the epitome of humanity. I mean, he was truly, I mean, Colossians tells us he is the, he is the preeminent one, that all things were held together in him, in Jesus. And so it's smart for us to kind of pivot, to square our shoulders and look to Jesus and say, how did you live this life Jesus, the God-man who came to this earth, how did you live and how did you breathe and what, were the, and what, were, what was the most important things for you? Because if he was the perfect one, the perfect human, and we are fully human, it's important for us to look to him and take our cues from him. Throughout all of church history, people have stared at these rhythms of Jesus and they've called them spiritual disciplines. They've looked at his life and they've looked at just the way that he carried himself. And these spiritual disciplines have actually become kind of just, just the, our, our borders, our, our, our guardrails. Some things that we put in our life on purpose, intentionally, to make sure that we keep kind of the main thing, the main thing, which is to continue to look to Jesus, to point our hearts and our souls to, to Jesus. 
These spiritual disciplines are pretty simple. It's reading God's word. All right, that'd be the first one. That's the most important one. The second one was prayer, right? This is what we put in our lives is God's word, reading God's word, prayer. The third one is one that doesn't get a whole lot of advertising these days. It's silence and solitude. We often see Jesus step away from the crowds, actually step away from his disciples, simply to be with his father. Silence and solitude, to step away. And then the last one is truly the least popular, is fasting. Being able to, to, to abstain from food for a certain number of hours or days or maybe even weeks to, so that your sustenance, your true stability, the things that is your true nourishment is not bread alone, but actually God's presence. And so this season, as we begin 2018, we talked about prayer last week. Today, we're going to be talking about God's word, actually reading God's word. And as the weeks progress, as we begin 2018, we'll continue to talk about prayer and the word, silence and solitude and fasting, because we want to do the things that Jesus did, right? And we are Jesus followers. And so we want to be like Jesus and we want to do the things that Jesus would do. Today, we're going to be talking about God's word. All right, so 2 Timothy 3. And here's what we want you to do. You can write down this, these simple phrases because this is all I'll say. We want you to read it. God's word, that is. We want you to read it a lot. We want you to read it a lot. We want you to read it. All right, okay, all right, good, good, okay, all right. And we want you to give it away. And then we want you to give it away. We want you to read it. And then we want you to give it Okay, there we go. All right. <laughs> Class is dismissed. Andrew, guys, come on up. That's a joke. <laughs> I still got lots of time. Oh, God. Those are jokes. All right. So let me tell you a story about a guy that you've never heard of. He read his Bible a lot and gave it away. His name is Walt. He has, has just a small kind of blip on the church history kind of radar. So much so that I mean, just, it just, it, no one knows about Walt, um, except for a few choice guys here on planet Earth. Walt and a few other families, they thought it was important uh, to, to plant a church, to start a church, to start a movement of God. And so they left the city of Philadelphia and they went up to the northern uh, suburbs to start a church. And they did it in a kind of an unconventional way. They didn't start with a Sunday morning. They just started by being a part of their neighborhoods. So if Walt and his family and a number of other families just started walking the sidewalks and walking the streets and getting their hair cut and those types of things in the northern suburbs of, of Pittsburgh, or, uh, Philadelphia. And as they walked, they began to learn names and people and those types of things. As the weeks and the months and the seasons passed, Walt became friends with um, a number of teenage guys he found himself, and this tells you kind of the era that he was in, he found himself talking baseball, baseball cards and shooting marbles, of all things, right? It tells you that was a long time ago. But Walt, very faithful into the lives of these, what would turn, turn into be 13 boys, 13 teenagers in the prime of their life, just getting ready to know exactly who they are and what exactly they were about. But they found themselves as teenagers where their identity was truly in crisis alongside this man named Walt. And Walt gave his life away, but he also gave away Jesus. 
over and over and over, not just shared his life, but shared the life of Jesus with these men. Give it another decade or two. Of those 13 boys, now men, 11 of them were in full-time ministry. Walt had an impact on these boys' lives. He shared his time and his energy and effort. But more than anything else, he walked alongside them and pointed them to Jesus. So that's why we read our Bibles a lot. And that's the way that we're able to give it away. Because we want this this person, this Jesus, is not just a sentimental figure and not just a great teacher and not just a wise person that even philosophers will lift up and, and, and have great respect for. This is a person who gave his entire life who literally died for us in our sins. If we want to walk along, alongside others, it's not enough to just to give your life away. Ask Walt. Walt didn't change these people. Walt, Jesus, through Walt, did. If we're going to be a church of disciple makers, people who are taking spiritual responsibility for at least one other person, to walk alongside someone through season after season after season, pointing them to Jesus, at least one other person on the planet. Or maybe you're like Walt, who gather a cadre of ragtags. Maybe they're middle schoolers. But give them a generation and they'll grow up. Maybe they're high schoolers. Maybe it's college students. Maybe it's small business owners. But as you gather a group of men or women or, 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 or a, a people group, as you gather them together, what, are you, what would you give away? Would you just give your experience or would you just give your knowledge? Or would you be able to give away Jesus? That's why we're asking you to read your scriptures. Because we f- find from cover to cover the person and work of Jesus, who is the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, we know that. And also the center figure of our scriptures is Jesus Christ, the risen one. All humanity hinges on him as a person, and we want to give him away over and over and over. So that's your motivation to read your scriptures, because it's there that you're going to find Jesus. It's there that you're going to find him. So Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, Timothy finds himself in a very similar situation as these boys hanging out with Walt. Timothy's just a young guy. And if you look in, in verse 10, And following, you can see some of the platitudes of his mentor. The mentor's name is Paul. Listen to this. So you, Timothy, all right, so this is verse 10. You, Timothy, however, have followed my, which is, you can also insert, you can insert Paul's name there. So Timothy, you, uh, however, you have followed my, Paul's teaching. So first and foremost, Paul is a good teacher. He teaches Timothy these things. And you have followed my teachings. You've followed my conduct, my aim of life, and my faith, my patience, my hope, and steadfastness, also my persecutions and my sufferings. And remember those times. It was crazy back there in Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, and you just could tell that we have been persecuted, those kinds of things. Which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord has rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Verse 14, he picks up another, uh, another kind of admonition to his, his son in the faith, Timothy. But you, but as for you, Timothy, continue 
in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And so here we have, read your Bibles a lot, right? And then give it away. Here you have in verse 14, but for you, continue in what you have learned in the past, right? And do not forget something, and this is truly important. And you have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. We have to be a part of not just the absorbing or reading of God's word a lot, but also imparting it to others. Most of the spiritual discipline talks that you're going to hear about God's word is simply the consumption of God's word. And there's over and over and over and over in the scriptures that will verify that. that you need to meditate it on day and night, that it's as good as honey. And I mean, it's a lamp to your feet. All of those wonderful scriptures that tells you that you need to, you have to eat it. You have to consume it. It has to be yours. But if you eat too much, if you continue to consume, you will what? Right? You'll kind of blow up a little bit. Right? Get a little chunky. Right? Have to move to the husky size. Right? Um, those types of things. If you continue, a little joke there, a little break the ice. Um, you, if you continue to eat, right, you just continue to consume, you just get portly. Right? You don't want to be a portly Christian. Don't tweet that. That's awful. All right. Not my notes. I've moved on. All right. So, but for you, continuing what you've learned and firmly believed. All right. So this is the basis of Timothy, his knowledge that has turned to belief, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood that you have been acquainted with the sacred writings in which you are, which is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. One, Timothy was a true consumer of, verse 10, Paul and his teachings. You've been acquainted, right, with my teachings and my course of life and my patience, endurance, and perseverance and sufferings. You've looked at me, Timothy, and you've seen me and you've heard me teach. But then there's another layer of Timothy's life. And it says, from which, from which you learned it. And how from what? From childhood. You have learned, or you have been acquainted with the sacred uh, writings. It seems like Timothy had a pretty awesome house, or pretty awesome home, in which he had someone to redirect his attention away from marbles, right, and onto Jesus, in which you have put your attention on these sacred writings in which are able to do one thing, is to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. These scriptures are meant for one reason, to point us to Jesus, to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Over and over and over, if we're opening up our scriptures and pointing to anything other than Jesus, we're doing it a great harm because that's a central piece of our discipleship model is to read the Bible a lot, but be able to give Jesus away to others. If you flip to the first chapter, and you don't have to, but I'll just give it to you. Uh, uh, 2 Timothy 1, verse 5, it says, And I am rem- reminded, Timothy, of your sincere faith. All right, there he p- picks it up again. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice. Amazing. And now, and I'm sure, dwells in you as well. So Timothy, remember the childhood Remember the sacred writings. Remember those times with Grandma Lois, 
right? And your mother, Eunice, kind of pulled you on your lap and whispered in your ear and taught you about Jesus. This is what Paul is talking about. His basis or his foundation and his grandmother and his mother sharing with him the person and work of Jesus. And Paul supplementing that when he was an an adult with great teaching. And so when you read your Bible a lot and you give it away, the only way that you're able to give anything away is to be a lot like Timothy and to have to actually experience for yourself first. You cannot give away what you first don't have or you just you do not possess. So the reason that you read it a lot is for you to possess it, for you to actually bring it in close, for it to be the nourishment of your bones and for your soul and for your mind. And so you will literally, as the scriptures call it, renew you every morning to renew your heart and your soul and your mind. And that will give you a platform to, in order to give it away. So this boy named, or this man named Timothy was set up perfectly by his grandmother, his mother, and now Paul to give away these scriptures. So today we're going to look at verse 16. We're just going to circle it, right? And we're going to just say there's, there's two pieces of ammunition that you need to read your Bible and give it away. Two pieces of ammunition. Number one is that it is God-breathed. All right, number one, verse 16. All scripture is God-breathed. That's the first bullet. Put it in your AK-40 Bible. Also not funny. Not in my scriptures. Someone get rid of somebody. Okay, and then number two is that this is a very interesting, a very Western word, which I like a lot, is profitable, right? It can actually turn a profit for you. It's actually a very practical tool. So we've taken it and made it a very devotional experience, which is amazing, right, which is good. But it's actually very profitable. It's a practical tool to put in your, for you to wield, right, to have in your hand, to, for you to possess. So first and foremost, it is breathed out by God. Verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God. This is the breath of God actually breathing these words into us. So the scriptures that we hold, right, even though it's, it's been translated into English, those kinds of things, but God's words, and we actually go all the way back to the originals when we talk about this, but the original manuscripts themselves were actually breathed out by God himself. God breathed these words into existence of all the millions of words there are in this world and all the billions or trillions of combinations in which they were to be aligned. The reason that we read it a lot and the reason we give it away is because it has its source in God and God alone. It was not man's idea. It was God's himself. God has valued a written word for for a long, long time. For a, for a while, he was just doing verbal decrees and just talking to Adam and talking to Noah and talking to Abraham. But when Moses comes along, God changes and says, okay, enough of the oral tradition. Now I'm going to have us write some things down. You remember Moses. Moses is the one that frees the Hebrews from the evil tyrants, the Egyptians, and those kinds of things. Well, the, they part the Red Sea. They go into the promised land. And they fall into a couple of traps, yada, yada, yada. Then God calls Moses up to Mount Sinai. 
he's up there, and he's up there for a long time. We see it shake. We see the lightning. We're getting a little scared. The people are wondering, what is going on with Moses and all, up on top of that mountain? We hear in the scriptures that it's God talking to Moses and actually instructing him. And then this is where the story truly turns on, uh, turns, especially for this message, is that God, with his own finger and two tablets of stone, reaches out with his finger and writes the law of God on some stone to be preserved for other people to read. The oral tradition has stopped and something new has started. The oral decree has stopped and now God is showing to us that he prefers something written down. So from that moment of God writing literally the first words of God himself, he then goes and he asks Moses, He says, Moses, I want you to write down the things that I have spoken to you. And here's this subscription over and over and over throughout the the Old Testament and the New Testament that I have spoken to you. Write down in the book of the law these things that I have spoken to you. God's breath speaking, Moses receiving and writing it in a book of the law to be preserved and passed down for generation after generation after generation. Moses writes Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's called the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. God breathes these into existence. That could be good, right? Well, then we pick up Joshua, the very next book. We pick up Joshua, and we hear God say something very similar to Joshua. Joshua. From God passed to Moses, and now Moses is passing the same, or Moses or Joshua has the same message that we heard from Moses. I want you, Joshua, to write down the things that I have spoken to you. Write them in the book of the law. And so Joshua does that and writes a book. And then Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. All of our scripture is reading, but with the subscript that write down in the book of a law, a book, the actual book, the words that I have spoken to you. And this is so very important for us to understand. The reasons that we aren't just spiritual people. There's a lot of spiritual people in this world. A lot of wanderers who are just wanting to feel God's presence. And wandering and hearing, you know, wanting to hear from God. But what makes Christianity a little bit differently is that we don't want to just hear from God or experience Him. We want to be guided particularly by Him through His Word. We are not autonomous, independent agents. We actually fall underneath his authority. And we find ourselves dependent on what he has said. You can be spiritual and super independent. That is not Christianity. Christianity is a a people who are following the decrees that are written in in this law. But it's breathed out. It's not held in. It's breathed out. The old Hebrew word is ruach. It even sounds like breath, right? It's breathed out by God. It's also a word for the spirit, the Holy Spirit. And breath are very similar in their words, but it's breathed out by God. Before you yell at a football game and lose your voice, before you're able to yell at your kids to get out of the road, there actually has to be a breath that forces out onto your vocal cords to actually form words. 
And that's the very source or the basis of our scriptures. Before there were words, before it was loud, it had to come deep inside the, just the inner sessions of who God is. Out of God's breath formed words, and words became the word for us. Out came out. We've seen God do this before, and it's been really remarkable. Remember the beginning of our story. Our story begins with, with Adam. In Genesis 2, it says this, And the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. From dust to a, to a real-life living human being. And the only thing that had changed is what? The breath of God. God breathing into mankind, breathing into dirt or dust, and making him something of worth and value. In the same way a believer has gone from an unbeliever to a believer. It's the breath, it's the Holy Spirit that's indwelling us. Here we have in verse 16, one of the most beautiful truths. The truths that all scripture is breathed out by God. That is truly, truly remarkable. So not only is it um, breathed out by God, um, it needs to, it's, it's really, really practical. And so here we go. It's, it's breathed out by God in verse 16. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching and profitable for reproof or another kind of more modern word would be rebuke for correction and for training in righteousness that every man of God, this is if you look again at your footnotes, man of God, woman of God, or messenger of God, which probably fits the context a little better, may be complete, equipped for every good work. Okay, so it's God breathed. And what's the first thing that he says it's profitable for? It's profitable for teaching, right? Okay, class. If you are, if you have a teacher, what is he or she, she doing? If you have a teacher, what is he or she doing? Teaching. And how does he or she teach? By using words, right? And so as it is breathed out by God, the very same kind of muscle reflex is now in us. That it doesn't need to stay here, inside here, in us, but actually needs to be profitable for someone else. That's remarkable. And so, yes, have devotions with the Lord. Yes, make sure that you're dwelling with him and helping him fill you up. But he's not filling you up for your sake. He's oftentimes filling you up for others' sake. Because it's all scriptures breathed out by God and is profitable and you can also just kind of maybe write for other people or for others because it gives you a platform to teach or rebuke or correct or teach or train for righteousness. This is our platform, not just to digest, right? Ingest, but actually to give away to others. So this is, this is what we see in Timothy's life, that he learned it. It went from knowledge to a belief system. And now this belief system, as he's seen Lois, he's seen Eunice, and he's seen, um, his, uh, seen Paul, he is now able to teach others. Because then in chapter 4, it tells us, hey, in and out of season, you preach your little heart out, buddy. You just talk and talk and talk and talk. 
this morning is about reading, your, reading the word a lot. But not stopping there. But truly having the ability or maybe even a craving to give it away to others. Um, this um, actually came uh, a little bit by accident and a little bit reserved. There's um, some things that have been floating around uh, Redstone Church. Talk about profitable, you're right, for equipping man for every good work. Now, this is a little book that you've seen back there for the last couple of weeks. And it's called the Community Bible Reading Plan, all right? Um, Ted Sin, which was a mentor of mine uh, two years ago. Uh, no, it's been a year and a half ago. Ted Sin, um, a great guy from Orlando, a pastor, church planter, uh, my coach. He actually um, developed this little artifact for people to actually enjoy their Bibles. And so he wanted his congregation, his con- constituency to actually be in the Bible a lot and for them to give it away. This is kind of just his heartbeat, is for people to be in the Bible a lot. Um, he asked for, I mean, a full year. Hey, Spencer, would you like me to send you a journal? I was like, no, thanks. I've got my own plan, all those types of things. Finally, I caved and said, fine, I'll pick up this thing, and I'll, I'll, I'll try it for, for a season. But I didn't pick up by myself, because it's the community Bible reading plan, the CBR. You have to do it in community. And so, I invited Daniel McIntosh and, and uh, Jerry Williams to actually do this with me. Actually, before that, we ordered 50 of them, and we only opened up three of them. And so we were like, well, we've got 47 of them just sitting in a box, but we're just going to let it sit. For weeks and weeks, a uh, couple of months went along. Jerry and Daniel and I were very faithful, you know, to read the scriptures, right, inside community, to move a quiet time. Right? A quiet time typically has been me and Jesus right? to move our, our quiet times, this time in the word and prayer right? that's very personal, and to move it out into public just a little bit with a couple of friends, some very intimate friends. And so Daniel and Jerry and I read our Bibles together. And then we started inviting a few other people to join us. And we st- continued to read our Bibles together. And soon... It was Daniel and Michelle reading their Bibles together. And Daniel and Jerry and me reading their Bibles together. And soon it was me and Nicole writing, reading our Bible together. And me and Daniel and Jerry reading our Bibles together. Then it was Jerry and his family, which would include Kyler. And he and, and Kyler would text and, and they would read their Bibles together as he was reading with Daniel and me together. And Kyler would then share and read with other missionaries in Ireland, right, together, as she was reading her Bible with Jerry, as Jerry was reading. And you can see it. And before long, um, 50 journals got gone really fast. And then um, we ordered another 50, and uh, I think 43 or something like that left pretty quickly. And so in December, we put in our order, and we ordered 150 of these things. And so the idea was for us to actually, for it to take root in our own hearts personally, but also for it to take root in our leadership's hearts first before we were able to make an announcement like this. We wanted it to be true for us before it was true for y'all. We actually wanted it to be in us before we encouraged other people to join this journey. All I know is that Nicole and I are different today than we were March twenty. 3rd or 24th, when we started reading our Bible together. Because every morning, 
the way that it's structured. Every morning, we wake up. And for years, she and I have been sharing a room and coffee and we're you know, reading our Bible pretty faithfully, even in the same room, but getting up and really not having a platform to have a conversation. But the way this is structured is that every single day, you guys are given or actually assigned a passage. So tomorrow, if you pick one up, everybody will be reading Isaiah 2 and Luke 11. And so something about that one little turn of the screw changed the conversation forever. Because Nicole and I are no longer, Jerry, Daniel, and I aren't in our time with the Lord separate. In fact, we're all reading our scripture, the exact same scripture together at the same time in the same day. And it really has been powerful. And so on vacation, Nicole, Kennedy, me, we would spend the mornings of our vacation reading the book of Revelation together along with 40 of our favorite friends. It's the community Bible reading plan because it does a couple of things. One, it it helps you read the Bible. But two, it brings this exercise or this discipline for you to read your Bible a lot, right? But then to give it away, to actually bring it into community. The word that I want you guys to understand is the word impact. At the very end of every single page is there's this one little phrase that says, um, how has God impacted you through today's scripture? And it only gives you like two little bitty lines, right? So your impact has to be really, really short, I think one of the most famous impacts was that Elijah died. That was sent by Daniel McIntosh. We're like, okay, D-Mac, thanks a lot. Right? So he texted um, Jerry and I and says, isn't it great that Elijah died? <laughs> so when we met the, later that afternoon, we're like, what's up with that? And he was like, He's not, he, he died just like you and me, that there's only Jesus who is raised from the dead. Ha! Now that's an impact because you and I will die just like Elijah. We will die, but we know one who did not, who was raised from the dead. And now, for months and months and months, we're talking about Elijah. Death's a doornail. Great, right? Because we're worshiping Jesus who defeated sin and death for us. The great thing about this is that everybody is on the same page every single day. You're encouraged to do this inside community. Do not do this by yourself. There's a couple left. We ordered 150 of those. We're down to like 25 or so. It really, really is amazing. But how amazing will it be that you probably have never read the major prophets from start to finish? Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. These are some pretty heavy books. But this year, 2018, you could actually get through the major prophets within community. The beauty about this is that you don't have to catch up. You just start with where you were. If you missed four days in a row, you could just go to the day, find what we're reading, and read it. There's no catch-up and those kinds of things. Also, the one wonderful thing is that you cannot read your Bible, but be right reading your Bible inside community. Not to exercise laziness, but every morning I get somewhere between 10 and 12 text messages from men that I really respect and love. And I could legitimately not read my Bible and just read their impacts and let the community help me through some hard places or help me through some pretty dry seasons. And that really is a beautiful picture of community. We want you to read your Bible a lot. It's God breathed. But we also want you to give it away. 
this little exercise or this little tool, this little artifact will force you to read your scriptures. But every day, you need to look at that bottom and go, Lord, I just need one little nugget. I need one small thing that will truly last and will outlast um, this day. And you send it to your friends, which will encourage them. But I can't tell you how many times my impact or an impact from one of my other guys have made such an impact on me that I have actually shared it on mission throughout the city over and over and over, where I found enough nutrients to actually not just encourage my soul, to encourage someone else, but actually it becomes your mission for the day. It actually becomes your ammunition as you traverse the day and day routine. This is just a tool. It's a silly tool that will be burned up and will never be you know, picked up in eternity. This is not the idea. But throughout scripture, the scriptures tell us over and over for us to meditate on the word day and night, for it to be our sustenance. But then not just to let it lodge here or here, but to begin, become ambassadors, become messengers of Jesus. This is a tool that will help you do that. There are a couple in the back. Um, we're going to charge you 10 bucks. Um, not because we're cheap, but because we want it to cost you something. I actually want you to write a check and feel like, okay, there's a little commitment here, right? So that's, that's why we do that. Um, so it's going to, um, and then two is we really don't want you to do it by yourself. This is not a Bible reading plan. You can get scads of those online. This is to do inside community. So pick up a journal if you're having or needing a jump start in this discipline of reading your Bible. Pick it up. And, um, and let us know who you want to do it with. If you have some trouble finding a community of people, let us know that. We can assign you some, to some groups. It really has been a remarkable journey. Timothy, um, as a man. Paul was asking Timothy as a man to recall all of the things that he remembered from his childhood. He says, you've been acquainted. The acquainted is really great. Um, the sacred writings in which you've been acquainted with. I'm just picturing that Timothy was able to go back there, you know, when he was eight or nine or 10 or 11 and listen to his grandma or his mom talk about Jesus. Here's why I bring it up. Here's my last point. That the word of God will not return or will not, you know, be without void. It will always return to us. Timothy was able to recall the things that his grandmother and his mother taught him decades before. The word of God has a stickiness to it. It actually comes equipped with some residue that sticks around for a very long time. If you're a parent or a grandparent in here, and you're eager to disciple your children, and you feel like you're banging your head against the wall, continue to impart Jesus to them. Give away Jesus. Give away the scriptures. Because there may be a season where they're far from him. But something inside God's word will actually start resting in their hearts. So don't be ashamed, or don't be afraid, sorry, not ashamed, but don't be afraid to do this with your middle schoolers or your high schoolers. Go ahead and share your impacts with your day with your kids. It might, just might, there may be another decade or two back. You know, you know we may be in the year 2030, and your kids may be like Timothy, quoting your mom, their, his mom or his dad as they were sharing impacts on their life. 
that could change the world. It could change us as families. It could change us as a, as a church body, but it could change our city for us impacted with the word of God and on mission toward him. Amen. So let's pray. Jesus, your word is powerful and strong and good. That's what we believe. We want your word that is strong and powerful and good to be in our hearts and in our lives. Question number one. Lord, there's going to be a little confession coming your way because uh, we need to be repentant and we need to be sorrowful um, for how cavalier we've been with your word. And so if you found yourself in a season of of drought or in a season where you're not um, reading the scriptures or meditating on the scriptures in the way that Jesus would have, able to recite scripture back or to give the reasons why. I'd encourage you to confess that before the Lord. You say, Lord, I'm sorry. I've been too loose or too casual with your word. But number two is, and only pray this if you mean it. Lord, but I want that to change. Only pray that if you mean it. God, I want that to change. I want to hunger for your word because it's there that I find out about Jesus. It's there that I get to picture forgiveness. It's there that I get to see Jesus' compassionate eyes upon those who are sick or needy or a widow who just lost her, her son. forgive us now for not reading your scriptures but give us a hunger give us a thirst to be in your word and I ask this in your good name amen this is the point of the service where we all pause and um, there may be some guilt and shame like oh I haven't picked up my bible in a year right this is where we 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 look at that guilt and shame and we say lord what am I going to do with that and we can either stare at the guilt and the shame, or there's another, another better picture in which we can look at, is that Jesus is the one who has perfectly taken that, that guilt and that shame for us. So this is a time for us to pivot away from our works, right, onto what Jesus has done, his work for us. At Redstone, that comes in the form of communion. Communion where we all, instead, there's no altar call here at Redstone. Instead, we all want us, we want us all to respond. We all want us all to go to Jesus and, and respond appropriately to him. And that's why we take communion over and over and over because I feel, we feel like we all need to respond to Jesus, not a select few. And so we take Jesus and we take the cracker and we take the juice. And we do this in remembrance of what he has done for us. But we are humans. We all, we respond to that wonderful call. And we take a step of faith in saying that is our identity. And so we would encourage you all, if you believe in Jesus, to get out of your seats and, and to find a basket of crackers or, or some juice and find yourself saying, thank you, Jesus, for living perfectly, for being the perfect, I mean, being the epitome of all humanity. Thank you for that and worshiping there 
and allowing his, what his disciplines to live through you. That's the point of this morning. So these men, there's some, some, um, there's some crackers and some juice that will be scattered around the room. Um, I'll have uh, bread up here uh, for, with intinction, which is not gluten-free. And so if you want to take um, at any of these stations, you are free to do that. So go ahead and stand and, um, and take communion as you see fit.